Cheers. Thank you very much. Uh, <clears throat> I have to deal with technology here, so please, I am a Luddite. I'm quite proud of it. Uh, so I'll try and correspond with text and image. So the nightmare that dreams. I'm not going to ad lib. I tend to always say I'm not going to. So a great many Western humans say there is no soul. People in Oxford, for example. But all or nearly all act as if there is uh, serial killers aside. And even they do. Why else would you bother killing someone? Why? You might as well watch the weather. It is, after all, more stochastic, more random, more literary. Why would you bother killing someone? That's that wonderful scene in uh, No Country for Old Men, uh, and the serial killer. You know where No Country for Old Men comes from, the phrase? Do you know where it comes from? Are you all daft? Yates, thank God for that. So Cormac McCarthy is quoting from Sailing to Byzantine, isn't it? The, the poem? Yeah. No country for old men. And that's why. But he, at the garage, or the gas station in America, he, he, he flips a coin. He says, flip a coin, doesn't he? And he's deciding to kill the guy or not. That's not a serial killer. That's not nihilism. That's still meaningful. That's the nightmare that dreams. Nihilism is impossible. Okay. <clears throat> so... I don't know if we're going to do this today or not, but Thomas Aquinas, for example, <coughs> argues that the soul is the form of the body. The fact that I have a body, and even the fact every single molecule in my body is different from this time last year. I'm still Connor, much to my wife's disappointment. Um, <coughs> so we have to think of this dilemma, is there a soul or not? And what are the consequences if there isn't a soul? It isn't necessarily a spiritual, religious thing as such. It's more metaphysical. And for you guys, political. I don't do politics, by the way. I'm from Belfast, so I'm allergic to it. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so uh, if there isn't a soul, are all our con concepts uh, evacuated of any content whatsoever? Hmm? Whether that means beauty or evil or, or good or bad or up or down or left and right. Yeah? And even Nietzsche knew this. But our common garden atheist does not. Uh, atheism is a complete misnomer, and there's no such thing as atheism whatsoever. To say I am an atheist is a religious utterance. That's demonstrable, and no one can argue otherwise. I am an atheist, you might as well go to church. So forget that. Okay, so the nightmare that dreams the soul of nihilism, and I'm going to try this. I wish we were filming this. My mother-in-law would be so impressed. Okay. Uh, so, <clears throat> to quote uh, two philosophers, well, two philosophers, I suppose, Peter Van and Wagen of Notre Dame says, one of the tasks that confronts the materialist is this. They have to find a home for the reference of the terms of ordinary speech. Lucasaid, coffee, tree, uh, where the world is entirely material, or else deny the existence of those reference altogether, or as our buddy Chesterton goes, there is no such thing as a thing. There's no thing, nothing. Oh, well. uh, indeed, as one Nobel-winning biologist put it, biology no longer studies life. And here we are from Harvard, typical Harvard. When did human life begin? The answer is never. Loving it. Great, isn't it? So, as Gregory of Nyssa, St. Gregory of Nyssa, said, by their arguments, um, <clears throat> sorry, by their arguments, they would prove that our life is nothing but death. It's a long time ago. He was on to something, wasn't he? Uh, and here are four more philosophers. Oh, I love these guys. Uh, could it turn out that no one ever believed anything? Yeah? So you go after the pub for your next cafe conversation when you're an undergrad a long time ago, certainly for me, and you go, do you believe in God? Yeah. And the other person, no. And they have a little argument. Bollocks. No one has ever believed anything. Anything. Not even atheism. Anything. This is nihilism. Uh, we'll get to the church later on. Metzinger who's the philosopher of mind of today, puts it quite pithily, I think. 
Putin, who were arresting, who were putting in prison, or why were putting in prison, how were putting in prison, for what reason were putting them in prison, if no one actually had a self. I don't know who we put. Nobody, I suppose. So, if matter is all there is, how do we discern between matter thus and matter so? Whether we call that rape, we call it genocide, Auschwitz, burglary, love, poetry, whatever. Matter thus and matter so. And because I'm in Oxford, to riff on Russell's notion of a Cambridge change. Yeah? You know what Cambridge change is? No? Do we know what that is? Linguistic, logical change. So sort of, you become an uncle. Nothing's happened to you. Yeah? And Russell, I think it was Russell, said it was a Cambridge change. Well, matter thus and matter so, rape, pillage, or the lack thereof, I would name it today, in honour of you lot, an Oxford change. So how does the materialist decide between thus and so? The toings and froings of matter. That's an Oxford change. Merely arbitrary, merely contingent, merely nominal, and merely vacuous. Uh, where are we? So I like Metzinger. He's good. He's actually quite intelligent. Talks a lot of rubbish, but anyway. So, oh, I like this. So this is Patricia and Paul, the two Ps. Do we know their work? So you saw Paul earlier say, could it turn out no one believed anything? Yeah? They're eliminative materialists. Yeah? There's no such thing as the mind. But they're married. I find that fascinating. Can you imagine the wedding day? These two eliminative materialists rock up at some civil wedding and go, I do. Who the bloody hell said that? <laughs> Who said I do? How did you say I do? Uh, and there's a good joke here. Sorry, I, I like this. Uh, two behaviourists, as they are in a sense, third-person language only, have sex. Hmm? The man turns to the woman and goes, that was great for you. How was it for me? That is the conundrum of materialism. There is no first-person language, no matter second. Oh, and it's interesting, um, I was just reading the paper, uh, I'll refer to this a few times, um, it's interesting, just political, only two or three months ago, and you politics people will tell me otherwise, but I'm sure it was two or three months ago, the Sudanese government ran out of currency. Did you hear about this? And they decided, they said, oh, heavens, how are we going to pay our troops? Do you hear about this? No? So he said, okay, rape. That will be our currency. So they paid their troops in rape. That was their currency. And the rebels thought, bloody hell, we've run out of currency too. That's a good idea too. So they said to their rebel troops, we'll pay you in rape too. That was their currency. Rape. Barter. And the notion I, I use currency rather than money because why not? It works. And if it functions, fair dues. Fair game. It'd be very interesting seeing argument against that. The Sudanese government and the rebels were being completely consistent with a nihilistic materialist position. So, oh, I love this. So just to show you the, 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 the way the nightmare dreams, Stevie Turner's beautiful uh, poem, The Conclusion, where you see the, the tension in the materialist position quite beautifully. And she cried. Hmm? The nightmare dreams. The nightmare dreams. And she cried. So we all be bourgeois and be atheist and materialist and whatever and say, yeah, we're nothing machines. But she cried. Nightmare dreams. As a couple of atheist philosophers said, <clears throat> the radical reductionists reject the cause of distinction between living and non-living only at the peril of denying their own lives. <coughs> so Daniel Dennett and Richard Dawkins, I shouldn't even mention their names, um, I bet you they buried their mothers and fathers. Why? And when their kettles break down, I got a new kettle recently, by the way, and I didn't bury the previous one. But why not? They're both machines. Why not bury the kettle? 
bring my children out the back garden, dig a hole, say goodbye to the kettle, the washing machine. Chief, this way. It is that, it's the same, it's the same cartoon. <clears throat> so why not bury your kettle? If we're all machines, after all, we're only machines, why bother? Why bother? Now, I'm quite willing to accept that we're only machines. I'm quite willing to accept that. But I think we have to be then consistent with that acceptance. Okay. <clears throat> uh, so, I'm just going to give you some Lacan, but he's boring. Uh, anyway, so the notion is that if we're only machines, if only material, there's a, there's a sense of unheimlich. It's uncanny. We're no longer at home in our own bodies. There is no soul. There is no form. There is no verb to the noun. There is no, there is, there's nothing going on. So we're a bit scared of ourselves. It's a bit like, and you get a sense of uncanniness in, in the sense of, um, I don't know who's got food poisoning before. I have. And you have, you know, catastrophic diarrhea, yeah? And you sort of think, you sort of panic at one point. I did anyway. I thought, is, is the whole of me going to fall out? Yeah? My insides became not hidden away beneath flesh that revealed themselves and that vulnerability of being a material machine. And diarrhea was the litmus test for that. Reminded of mortality, finitude, and so forth. I don't know. Okay, so we think, I look at your faces, your countenance, and think, wow, if I came in here with a gun and shot you all, would something have happened? I see your faces. Now, imagine if I'm looking at you all. See, I see all these faces, right? But imagine if I'm looking at you and I can't actually see a face. Because if you're material, only material, no soul, what is the difference between here and here? Magritte was on to something, was he not? Yeah? You still think, you atheist, you materialist, you nihilist, that there's something about a face that is different than a toe. Yeah? Or whatever. So Magritte was on to something. Uh, and we, we suffer this. So, do, do you know about had? Do I have it up there for you? Uh, do you know this? Do you, does anyone know what this means? No? This is a big evolutionary thing in, 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 lo in lots of different areas uh, cognitive stuff and evolutionary biology and so forth. So, humans. Um, uh, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, suffer, sorry, I had a gag in my head. Um, suffer Tom. That's my friend Tom. We suffer Tom. And it's called a theory of mind. We look at things and we think they're real. We see faces in the crowd. There you are looking up on Valentine's Day or you think, oh my love, look at the crowd. Doesn't that look like a horse? Yeah, that's had. We look at it and see patterns. As a species, Homo sapiens sapiens, the hominoid that knows that it knows, reflexive, we keep finding patterns. And unfortunately, back to Magritte, look, what do you see? What do you see? You see what? A duck. A duck. You see? But I see you. What's the difference if you're a materialist? There's one more, I think. Here's Dali. And what's interesting about this, I think I put it up there for you, in that so Daddy's doing, he thinks he's being really clever with these naked women, yeah? And you think, oh, bloody hell, looks like a skull, yeah? So you're all suffering hard. You're seeing a skull, but there isn't a skull. But the point is, if you're totally consistent, why is this any different than this? Why? I am suffering as much looking at that as I am at that. Hmm? But we're so bourgeois, we're so conditioned, that we think there's a difference. There isn't at all. Okay, so, and often in, in, in movies, we see this all the time, where our uh, subconscious manifests itself. But we're not aware of it. And one of the brilliant examples of this in terms of materialism and nihilism 
are zombies. Hmm? Zombie movies. Yeah, I hate them, but um, a bit geeky for me. But, but what, what are zombie movies? What, what is that? You're actually watching yourself. Because if you're a materialist, that is you. You are a zombie. There are no zombies as a horror movie. It is actual reality. We're just fooled ourselves in a behaviorist sense, materialist sense, a Darwinian sense, a reductionist sense, and so forth. We are actually, uh, we are actually zombies. Um, <clears throat> so, look at my father-in-law. Um, so, docetism. Yeah, we know this is a heresy, don't we? We only seem to be. That's why Beckett got it wrong. We are not... Oh, what's the next one? Sorry. I love this. You know, uh, Derek and Clive? Man, because that means straight guys. Hello. It's a bit provocative. It's a bit provocative. That's a religious act to say hello. That's a religious act. A bit provocative. Because we only seem to be. Hmm? It's convenient for us to pretend that we are. It seems to get things going. Yeah. Bus cues and stuff. Okay, um, oh, here we are, Beckett. Oh, flip. Oh, shit. Right, sorry. Wrong. Oh, flip. How do I go back? Oh, oh, why? Put it on the, on the table and then click on it. What? Which way? Oh, yeah, okay. Oh, I wanted to keep my view. Oh, I've lost my Beckett. Anyway, the Beckett thing is, he goes, we are born astride a grave. You know this famous line of his? We are born astride a grave. The point is, Beckett is wrong. We are born in a grave. It just so happens it's above the ground. And some twitching. Some sound and fury. Which may, we may attribute meaning to or not. Mm. Uh, I think I've got the wrong bloody one. Do you know that? The, oh, right, that's very annoying. Um, is that? Oh, okay, sorry. Your, your chap's going to come up very soon, isn't he? Uh, right, okay. Oh, anyway, so we suffer what uh, is called the Cortard syndrome. Does anyone, does anyone know what that is? No? The Cortard syndrome? Anyone know what that is? It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a medical condition, a mental condition, where you actually believe that you are, um, I think, uh, I've got the wrong bloody one, because you're supposed to have your, I've, there we are, I thought I think, anyway, um, Cortard syndrome is where you, you, you actually are breathing, but you think you're dead, and this is the real syndrome. And, and you think your flesh is rotting, and you think you cannot die because you're already dead. Really interesting. Maybe they're the enlightened ones. And we're all cappuccino-drinking idiots who think we're actually alive. So they actually have something, you know, above us. So <clears throat> let me just read from Dostoevsky, if I may, my hero. Born on the same day as myself, which I, I, I really love that fact. But anyway, these, Tur these Turks took a pleasure in torturing children too, cutting the unborn child from the mother's wounds, brothers Karamazov, and tossing babies up in the air and catching them on points of their bayonets before their mother's eyes. Doing it before the mother's eyes was what gave zest to the amusement. Here's another scene, says Dostoevsky, that I thought very interesting. Imagine a trembling mother with her baby in her arms, a circle of invading Turks around her. They've planned a, diver a diversion. They pet the baby. Laugh to make it laugh. They succeed. The baby laughs. At the moment, a Turk points a pistol four inches from the baby's face. The baby laughs with glee, holds out his little hands to the pistol, and he pulls a trigger in the baby's face and blows out its brains. Artistic, this dossier still. Artistic, wasn't it, by the way? 
Turks are particularly fond of sweet things, they say. Love that. It's amazing. So you just kill the baby, but the Turks like sweet things. Like sweet things. Uh, let's see if this goes. Oh, good hearts in them. Yeah, here we are. You read that? Yep. Yep, so this is us. This is me ringing my wife. She's making me a uh, 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 tortilla. Tomorrow, so I'm just ringing her home. Um, so, <coughs> let me see. Oh, the Turks, what is it? He says, Turks are particularly fond of sweet things, they say. So, Hannibal Lecter, Dr. Hannibal Lecter, is on to something. Yeah? It isn't actually Chianti, by the way, in the book. They changed it because the, the, the Italian wine that he actually uses in the book, people, it begins at A, I can't remember the name, but one of you guys might. They changed because we wouldn't, being ignorant, recognize the wine, so it changed the Chianti. But I like that. So, um, yeah, so he's right, isn't he? Why not? Why not? And here's from The Guardian, only in March. So it had a Sudanese thing, trading currency and rape. Here's, here's from The Guardian in March. I was told of how a group of Bosnian Serbs had raped a three-year-old girl in front of her mother then slit the child's throat before feeding her body into a meat grinder. Not satisfied with this, they then cooked the meat and made the mother eat her own child. That's the Guardian, March 2016. Made the mother eat her own child. Horrific, isn't it? Horrific. The nightmare that dreams. No, there are flaws in that. Why cook the flesh? Why call it meat as opposed to flesh? Why not put the child through the grinder alive? Why kill it first? Why act as if this is of significance? Stamp collecting is more truly nihilistic than this horrendous evil act because they still think it's significant to that most horrendous of things. They're still trading on the good. They're still parasites. They're still parasites. They haven't been able to actually be truly nihilistic. They're just people who have flunked out of Sunday school and gone wild. <clears throat> anyway, uh, so I was going into technical stuff. I, I don't think I will today because uh, uh, maybe it's not the, the appropriate time into the soul and what actually. Uh, do you know this? That uh, th 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 this is actually interesting. The, the medieval notion of knowing is the same as Genesis. So to know your wife is to know anything. It's intercourse. So reality, unlike the nihilists before who are doing all this stuff, feeding children through meat grinders and feeding to the mother, to know anything is already a form of intercourse. Being and reality, being and knowledge, being and thinking are already in concert. It's a marriage. Even those horrible people who did wicked thing are still somehow, still somehow engaged in that economy. They're still part, they're still signed up. Hence they're thinking it's funny. Hence they're thinking it's significant. Yeah? Um, okay, I was gonna, I don't know, uh, uh, I've got technical stuff here with the soul and knowledge and stuff, but I don't know if it, do you want me to t tell you about physiochemical, physicalism, material? do you want me to, t all right. Um, so I, I had a phrase that, you know, uh, evangelicals are very, you know, love to say, you know, uh, man does not live by bread alone. Hmm? But every word that on it proceeds from the mouth of the Lord, which I totally agree with. But there's something, man does not live by bread alone, but bread as well. We are incarnate material beings. And you think, ooh, what does that mean? 
And the reason we're incarnate material beings is because we have a soul. We have a form. We are a verb. We are a verb. Because we cannot point to any materiality and go, that's what that person is. That's what Connor is. Because Connor's materiality has completely changed. But the verb, the form, keeps going. Yeah? It's still there. It's still there. So we are incarnate material beings because of our soul. And that's it. And this is demonstrable, philosophically. So the, the, the point of this idea is that the mind does not live on its own. There is a brain, apparently, but not that I believe in a brain, by the way. I don't, literally. I don't actually believe there's such a thing. Um, but the brain also requires the mind. And by mind, I mean the soul. Because there's no doubt that the reduction of soul to mind accommodates the reduction of the mind to the brain. The consequence of which, I would argue, is the loss of the brain. Jesus is a loss of the person. Robert Speyman, that great German Catholic thinker, says, Scientism, the notion that science is the only begetter of truth, claims that the res cogitan, the, the uh, thinking, is in fact a complex res extensa, material thing. Thus the human being becomes an anthropomorphism to himself. So when I say, I am Connor, it's anthropomorphic. How dare I'm PC enough to go, that's silly of me. <laughs> I read The Guardian. I know that I'm an anthropomorphism. I'm being anthropomorphic when I name myself. I'm being anthropomorphic when I believe that I exist. The people who put the child to the meat grinder were less anthropomorphic. To a degree. Only to a degree. They must have read The Guardian. Anyway, to paraphrase a, a scientist, anyway, uh, the physico-chemical picture of the living organism is only half the truth. Chemicals, hormones, so forth. Uh, the missing half concerns the nature of the organizational relationship that makes the behavior of obviously living systems uniquely different from that of obviously non-living systems. In many ways, this is the more important half. I didn't agree with the word half, of course. For here lie the difference between life and death. For even if we knew down to the last molecular detail what goes on inside a living organism, we would still be up against the fact that a living system is an organized whole, which by virtue of the distinctive nature of its organization shows unique forms of behavior which must be studied and understood at their own level. A crucial point here, by the way, um, which I'll you'll see in the soul book, is that we must abandon the notion of levels. This is absolute bunkum, by the way. You know, you, we've all been brought up with that late 19th century. We're all still high. Physicists, not so much, but biologists and so forth. We have this notion of levels, don't we? So we have this notion of, uh, you probably all know, so you, you have the notion of here, here are the special sciences, but deep down, there's the natural sciences, and it, it sort of goes down the way, yeah? We have levels, don't we? So, yeah, here's humanities, and then suddenly we get to the real... The real deal, yeah? That's, that's our hierarchy, isn't it? It's rubbish. It doesn't actually work in physics, chemistry, biology, or anything at all. It's more side by side in, in practice. In fact, one of the most beautiful things um, I recently uh, studied are rainbows. And I can tell you about that later if you wish. But you cannot analyze a rainbow reductively. It destroys all reductive logic. A rainbow. No wonder it's a symbol of hope. Because the, the, the physical, if you, if you understand this, the physical theories in wave theory and ray theory come together, and it's, uh, it's to be posh, it's asymptotic. Yeah? The analysis has to be asymptotic, which is to say, you can't, it's overlapping, there's a borderline, and only in this borderline, this border, this weird, weird uh, margin, can you actually study the phenomenon, which is a rainbow. It's incredible. There is no hierarchy. It's side by side. This is the marriage of discourse. You need, if, if, if you have a preacher who goes up on the pulpit and gives the large, yeah, and he goes, oh, you know, uh, thou shalt not, right? Brilliant. Man does not live by bread alone, but bread as well. That preacher is made of chemicals made of particles, 
has sugar levels, has hormones, has that. But that is not a slight, except if you're a Gnostic. That is not a slight upon the organism, which is the preacher. That is not a slight in what he says at all. In fact, this is what I'm saying with the rainbow. This is why we're actually seeing a renaissance in chemistry, absolute renaissance, and in biology. We're seeing the, um, a, a complete re rejection of 19th century thinking, which is basically <coughs> logical positivism um, here, in fact, um, beginning of 20th century. Uh, uh, we still think in those terms. We still think in those terms. They're not legitimate. We have to put away childish things. And positivism is childish. It's as simple as that. I don't care if you believe in God or you don't. Positivism is bunkum. Right. Okay. Uh, uh, where was I? So, yeah, the, uh, the rainbow is a... I can give you the science of it later if you'd like. I find it fascinating. That's why I'm not invited to parties uh, very often, because I find it incredible. Uh, and what we tend to do with our 19th century way of thinking, because uh, they forgot the first... You know, the previous couple of thousand years of, of actually thinkers. And, and, and we thought, oh yes, things are thus and so, and things can be pristine, and things can be um, 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 fully proved, and things can be fully obvious. But this is, of course, not the true. This is not true at all. Um, we even saw it in mathematics. We see it in mathematics, don't we? With the end of Hilbert's paradise. You know, Hilbert's dream? You know, Hilbert tried to reduce mathematics, and Russell Whitehead did the same. Reduce mathematics to logic, Yeah. And of course, Gödel and Turing, by the way, Turing is very important. People talk about Gödel, but Turing is really important. It's not just about Turing test, but Turing is massively important in that he destroyed that notion. And mathematics became an art. And, and one of the things you should definitely um, um, realize is that, uh, do you not understand that Stephen Stitches, uh, I think he coined the phrase, um, uh, folk psychology. Do, do you know about this? Folk psychology, yeah? So we say the sun rose, uh, the sun yeah, that's just, we know it didn't, it didn't, right? The planet just went, did it spit. But the folk psychology, they go, well, first person language is folk psychology. I am Connor. That's just, don't be daft. We're growing up now, it's third person language. Yeah? So folk psychology goes all the way down. And they argue, they argue that the humanities, the special sciences as Fodor, famously wrote in his 1974 paper, Jerry Fodor, philosopher of mine, said, you know, where are these special sciences going to be? Where are the humanities going to be? And so the argument was that we'll get rid of that and we'll just do physics. Hmm? We'll get rid of all that stuff that Shakespeare, Dante, whatever, ethics and so forth. Uh, but, and so what they argued, the churchmen, in fact, argued, was that um, the humanities, they said, were a proto-science, hmm? an immature form of science. And when we became mature, we would put away our childish things, bye-bye Shakespeare. And we would grow up. We would grow up. But the actual truth, it's the opposite way around. The sciences are a proto-art. That's why... Scientist was only invented in 1833. Did you know that? 1833. No one ever called anyone a scientist before 1833. You did natural philosophy. Yeah, as you know. And the point is, if you're a chemist, biologist, physicist, and so forth, you're doing natural philosophy. And this is becoming more and more apparent when you study chemistry, and you study biology, study physics, they're doing natural philosophy. They are proto-arts. So Shakespeare and Dante may come back and realize, in some sense, they are trying to... Um, uh, uh, um, oh, actually, did you get that book? I, 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 I get it. Um, they're trying to encapsulate uh, it, it actually what, what's happening to us. And I was reading this. Um, I'm just doing this to show off uh, a big posh book. I just did it that so you don't think I'm learned. Um, and I happened to come across this, this quote from Tom Stoppard uh, on the train, and I felt very opposite for today, if I may. There is, this is Tom Stoppard, yeah? There is a straight ladder from the atom to the grain of sand, and the only real mystery in physics is the missing run in the ladder. 
Below it, quantum particle physics. Above it, classical physics. But in between, metaphysics. All the mystery in life turns out to be the same mystery. The join between things, which are distinct and yet continuous. Body and mind, free will and causality. Living cells and life itself. That's artistic, isn't it? That's what scientists are trying to actually do. Yeah? Because if you're a scientist and you think, oh yeah, I just go, we're specialised, we're separate, we're divorced. It's the great divorce. Yeah? But, but this is not what it's meant to be. A university was never meant to be that. It was always in concert. It was always in concert, the disciplines. But they lost the way and thought they could do themselves. But, so, so you get some scientists, oh, I'm just off the, the lab today to study carbon. Why? Well, it's, why'd you get out of bed for carbon? I don't know, I just I sort of fancy it. You fancy it, do you? Why do you fancy going to the lab to study carbon? No. Why not stay at home and watch daytime TV? Jeremy Kyle or something. Yeah. Why, what's carbon doing to you? Well, I find it very interesting. Why do you find it very interesting? Well, I want to find out what it's... Why is that interesting? Well, I mean, I'm excited by it. But, 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 but why? There's an opera of the mind at work in the most mundane of the natural sciences. There's an opera of the mind at work in the Muslim day of the natural sciences. Well, there's a great quote from Dickens, I have it here, um, with a third-person language where, uh, you're, you're from Hard Times, you probably all know it. Mrs. Gragrim goes, she's asked, uh, 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 are you in pain? Yeah? And uh, think of the child going through the meat grinder, by the way, when you hear this. Um, I think there's pain somewhere in the room but I couldn't positively say that I've got it. I'm not sure the victim... Oh, heavens above, I need to go back. We've lost our... Look, hold on a Our chief here. Oh, I've got another. Oh, Limanek. No. Right, Teresa, help me. Again. Again? Yeah. You have to do it every time? So Mrs. Gragrin says, uh, I think there's pain somewhere in the room, but I couldn't possibly say that I've got it. I think he begged to differ. I think he's done his hair in the morning. And there we are, Ikefalti. Now, this is absolutely demonstrable. We see something apps a decapitation. We see murder. We see evil at work. Metaphysically, you cannot describe that if you're a materialist. Nothing has happened at all. Nothing. Mrs. Gragrind, I'm not sure there's a decapitation. I think there might be one in the room, but I'm not sure if it's me. I don't think our buddy here is saying that. Hmm? Not that he's saying anything anymore. But... Uh, and this is it. So what we end up with is like we're, with materialism, everything, everything folds away and things are merely thus and merely so. I said as an Oxford change, we're like the Cheshire cat. It's left with a smile, but even the smile disappears. You can't even maintain the smile if you're a materialist, if you're a nihilist. This didn't happen. And of course, whoever decapitated him didn't think it happened. The person who murdered the child and fed it to its mother didn't think it happened. Why would they do it otherwise? But yet somehow the nightmare dreams. Because that's why they did it. Someone decapitated this poor man, this poor soul. Why not just cut his toenails? Yeah? Surely that's as vicious as chopping his head off. Hmm? But no, the nightmare dreams. The nightmare dreams. We cut his head off. 
We didn't clip his toenails. Why? Why, I ask you? Why did you not cut his toenails? But you chopped his head off. You decapitated him. And by the way, talk about postmodern, whatever, my word. And you hear people like Bataille, and I hope you don't read him, because he's shit. It's bourgeois, trendy shit. Acephality, that's why, that's why I put that up, because he's into that. Basically, it's being bourgeois nonsense meaning, and it's always, an, it's always a rebellion against orthodoxy that makes them look like punks. I dyed my hair green. Yeah? I did sex this way rather than that way. Woohoo! That's really cool, man. How do we know what you did was interesting? Rock and roll, punk, rebellion, acephality. I love the way Bataille, Lacan, everyone's sleeping with everyone's wives. It's hilarious, falling out over it. Very bourgeois. Um, so even that, they returned to bourgeois norms. Yeah, wasn't it? Who slept with who? Lacan slept with Bataille's wife, I think. Anyway, I can't remember which way it goes. And it's like, yeah, 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 Acafal, did we get the head? It's just such adolescent crap. And if the Sudanese are trading in rape, if people are being decapitated, if, well, I'll get the cancer in a second, but, um, and I'm going to try my thing again. Got a good time. Oh, I'm not going through all the. Oh, oh anyway. uh, you know this, don't you? Are you all too young? You're good lad. You're showing your age. Although they just brought out a single last week. No, no, I haven't heard it yet. I saw them in concert when I was doing my A levels. Um. Anyway. Uh, so I won't go on much longer because that's all the technical stuff and I just think it's too much. But, but what I'm saying is that, is that, yeah, the sciences are back to being natural philosophy. Gone is reductionism. Um, gone is physicalism. Gone is uh, materialism. As Russell himself said, uh, I have a quote for you here. Um, uh, he go, oh, um, you know, matter is more spooky than anything that happens in a seance. Matter, where's materialism? And so the whole thought of our brain, our brain, our mind, our soul, trying to engage with the world is already a thrilling romance. It's already a form of intercourse. It's already a form of engagement. They're very be horrified by our poor soul losing his head. Uh, the nightmare always dreams. Rutherford, Sir Rutherford, said, there is only physics, all else is stamp collecting. Hmm? There goes chemistry, there goes biology, yeah? this 19th century nonsense, masturbatory nonsense. But of course, you have to immediately ask in a sophomore way, was your utterance an example of physics? No, it wasn't. Was it? Mm. So it's already beyond itself in its utterance. It's already engaging in something outside physics. Yeah. Um, and he doesn't even think, Rutherford doesn't even think to ask, and we must be attentive to the world, as scientists are, as artists are, as humans are, in a way that, how can we corral air into meaningful packages. I am. I am. Air, just air, corralled. And I can take that utterance and I can take it across space and I can take it across time once more into the breach, dear friends. Some uttered that once. And here I am in front of you, Lot zombies and I can do that there's something sacramental about that I'll, I'll, you want me to wrap up yeah sorry um, pardon no, sorry. Uh, and this is uh, and I really mean this in terms of philosophy of mind and philosophy of chemistry which is brilliant it's really a massive renaissance philosophy of chemistry and of course chemistry in terms of etymology has a really wonderful occult sense and it still is occult and um, 
And we're seeing this in biology, where it's no longer simply the flux of phylogeny. We're seeing systems biology coming in going, blimmin' heck, we're having to fight for the notion of a, a squirrel. Because we can't give an account of a squirrel if we have a simply horizontal uh, phylogeny. Yeah? Where is the organism? Hmm? And when biology starts to look for about what they call autonomy, and, I can, I can, and it is autonomous, yeah? Um, you know, people talk about homeostasis. Yeah, you've heard of this phrase, yeah? That you invented by a guy called, uh, coined by a guy called, um, what's his name? Walter Cannon in 1929. Just to let you know, pub quiz. Um, so biology is having to fight for the whale, the squirrel, the ant thing. And they're thinking, and then biology gets sexy. Chemi chemistry is fighting for water. I mean, without the soul, without form, without just only physics, or else a stamp collecting. Without the soul, we're like a fish out of water. Hmm? There is no you and me. We might as well be decapitated. But interesting, here's the point. There is no fish, because there's no biology. Only physics, remember. And there is no H2O. There's no chemistry, because that ain't physics. You can't even be a fish out of water. So the beauty of the nightmare is that it keeps dreaming. Reality keeps pushing back against our vanity. It keeps pushing back against our idolatry, our vanity. It says, I am here. I am here. This is intercourse. This is knowing. This is knowledge. And this is why all science is a proto-art. This is why it's natural philosophy. It is not scientists, 1833. It is not scientists. That's why Aristotle invented the whole blimmin' thing. Why do you think? Because of wonder, as he says. The perplexity of Plato. Why? I start, I think, woof. Why? Back to our boring scientist studying carbon. He's getting aroused. Yeah, in carbon. He's not going off to study uh, 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 something else. He loves carbon. Carbon's something special to him. He wants to articulate the structures of carbon and how it manifests itself in different ways, from diamonds to, to lead. Yeah, pencil, I think of uh, you know, uh, so why? Because there's something there inviting. There's something there erotic. That's why all knowledge is only what it is because of eros. From the most mundane. And that's why every nightmare dreams. Every nightmare dreams. Um, okay, I was talking about bug, I'll go and stuff. There's no point. Uh, uh, yeah. Um, uh, uh, actually, I had a quote from uh, to be trendy. Please don't read these people. But anyway, um, Maurice Blanchot, do you know him? Yeah? Not worth your time. But he, he, he said, uh, interestingly, or is it? He goes, um, Nihilism tells us its final and rather grim truth. It tells us of the impossibility of nihilism. It's impossible. It's impossible. Why did he even write it? Why did he even write it? This is the point. He knows it. Because he has desire to write it and tell us that. And I'm telling you. And he's dead. And I'm telling you. Desire. It's like Lazarus. We're resurrected in our lives. Because we're summoned, aroused to learn, to think, to adjudicate. To fall in love, to fall in hate. All these terms have only purchase in a metaphysical universe which refuses nihilism but accepts evil. Thomas Aquinas said in a swimmer contra gentiles, he goes, if there is evil, God exists. If there is evil, God exists. Now people, theologians especially, because most theologians are a bit thick, you only have to look at the last 50 years and see the absolutely appalling theology we've had. Uh, crappy people doing crappy philosophy and being crap. But, and what they do is they misread that. They think, they, they go to a process theology or they go, it's the death of God stuff, all that crap. What you need to do is take those theologians, stick them in the philosophy faculty and see if they survive. They won't. They won't. They're second-rate philosophers. Now, the, the point of that is, if there is evil, God exists. I called it in the Darwin book, the argument to evil. 
So if there is evil, if that man's head being decapitated, if that child being fed uh, through the meat grinder and fed to its mother, if that actually is significant any more than me doing... If you're going to discriminate between that and the meat grinder, God exists. Because evil exists. I don't mean God causes evil. That's not the point. That's where bad theologians do. Oh, God's weak and he mustn't be all powerful and this and all that rubbish. But Aquinas is right. If evil exists, God exists. And it's the most, it's metaphysics and it opens up a universe to you. And if it opens up a universe to you, that's why we have a university, despite their utilitarian nihilism. Hmm? Where they become, it's an industry of the mind. It's an industry of cleverness, of tricks, especially in bloody theology, where people given chairs shouldn't be, should be traffic wardens. Because they're thick. And they have no sense of the child in them. They have a sense of survival and cleverness and trickiness and Tolkienian sense. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, if evil exists, God exists, and I, that's absolutely true. Um, so, the nightmare always dreams. I'm a nihilist. I'm a nihilist. I don't believe in anything. I'm very religious of you. This is the point. You cannot find a nihilist. And Dostoevsky, who we read about the earlier brothers Karamazov, says in the end of one of his letters, I think this is great, which echoes Blanchot in a way, where he goes, honestly, typically him, hit the nail on the head. I can't remember which year it was he wrote this letter. This is just it. It's like six words. Nihilism isn't even worth talking about. And the most Dostoevsky people I've come across since reading that letter. Uh, here is the new Pope. The dude speaks. Obviously, the big Lebowski. No, Donnie, these men are nihilists. There's nothing to be afraid of. Yeah? We are nihilists, they say. Yeah? Do you remember this? The movie? Yeah? And uh, there's one other scene, which I don't have on the screen for you, when he goes, uh, they're sitting at the, at the, at the bar in the, in the bowling alley, and he goes, nihilism? Well, at least national socialism had an ethos. <laughs> yeah? At least national socialism had an ethos. Nihilism was just flaccid bourgeois crap. Just liberalism, the flaccidness of it. So the point would be, I would say that everyone is doing theology. Everyone is doing theology. To make a cup of tea, to write a poem, to say I do, to say I am, to say I'm not, to say I'm a nihilist, is always doing theology. There is no escape from theology because the nightmare, the nightmare always dreams. It always dreams. That's why Dostoevsky is correct. Nihilism isn't worth talking about. Cheers.